In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1, the Bible says that David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom God has chosen, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the palace or the temple will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I've provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, and all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house, and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jael the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, watch that, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For the whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly, for all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. You probably don't know three dozen generous people. You may not know a dozen generous people. I, I think you'd be rare if you knew five extremely generous people. We may not know a lot of generous people, but no matter where we stand in this station of life, we can become generous people. We might assume that the generous people are out there somewhere, but I'm going to give you something. No matter what you have in the bank this morning, or the piggy bank if it's gotten down to that, you can be generous with what you have. The greatest example of giving in the Word of God was done by a woman who had next to nothing, and she took that next to nothing and gave it, and Jesus stopped the disciples and said, did you see that? So it's not an issue about being wealthy or living in poverty. It's not an issue of the one percenters carrying the rest of the church on their back. This is an issue, both theological and doxological. 
That means, yes, it is rooted in truth, but it is also connected to the degree of our heart and its praise and gratitude unto the Lord. And so this morning, I'm going to challenge us all in this area because God has given Newbridge Church not a small task to accomplish. I don't know that any of us in here, I'm not aware of anybody who is extravagantly wealthy by American standards, but if you go global, I will tell you this, most of us are wealthy by global standards. And all of us, including the guy preaching this morning, can do a better job at how we steward the wealth that God has given us. It isn't that we need more from Him, it is that we need more awareness of what to do with what He's already given us. And so let's proceed down this passage. I only have three points this morning, so an hour per point and you should be able to go. <laughs> that lets me know you're listening this morning, I was beginning to wonder. Let's begin with the message from our giving. The context is this, David is turning over soon the reign of Israel to his son Solomon. David wanted to build the temple for God. David was a musician, a poet, a warrior, a great resplendent king, and he had decided he wanted to build the temple for God. God told David, no David, you shed too much blood with those hands. I'm going to let you amass everything for the temple, but your son's going to oversee the construction project of the temple. David responded in gratitude and humility, but now he's getting ready to prepare for Solomon his son to take the ownership of the building of the temple of God in Israel. And so there's a message in from our giving as we see the message in David. First of all, our giving represents a generational message. Especially parents and grandparents in this house today, hear me. Look at David in verse 1. He said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but will be for the Lord God. I, I just want to pause here for a moment, that in the midst of opulent wealth in Israel, in David's sovereign power over Israel, and the, in the, we're going to see just the extent of all of the gold and the value of it that was placed in the temple, David is focusing on his son receiving heritage. He's focusing in part on not only building God a great a temple, but also coming along his, uh, the side of his son, Solomon, and recognizing that generationally there needs to be a passing of baton, the significance of the work of the house of the Lord. The glory of God that would come and fill that house was important to David, and David saw the issue of amassing all of the materials, getting ready to turn it over to Solomon. He said, Solomon doesn't know how to do this. Solomon is young. Solomon is inexperienced. Solomon has been in my shadow his whole life, but soon he will be the one leading out in the kingdom. And David says, I want to be a part of this with my son in the generation to come. You know, I'm not sure what we think about when we give, but I wonder, moms and dads, grandparents, what are you training your children in concerning giving? Uh, I remember once upon a time many years ago I was teaching the youth back when we were in Duluth at Meadow and uh, I really challenged young people, teenagers, that they should begin giving of what they're earning, whether it's mowing lawns or, and, and going to, or working at the grocery store at the fast food place. I was like, you need to give, you need to give, you need to become a worshiper with your funding. And I remember I had two parents that were angry with me. And I said to them in a very calm manner, that which was rare for me back then, but they were accusing me of telling their children to give. I said, well, wait a minute, is your child saved? Well, of course she's saved. Well, didn't I baptize her unto Jesus to follow as a disciple? Yeah, you did, but she's 17 years old. Why are you trying to get her to give her money? I said, because God calls us all to enter into kingdom advancement, and part of that calling is our money. 
and, you know, I have no idea what the mom's situation was. Maybe she wasn't giving. Maybe she was convicted. I don't know. But our children need to learn from us generationally. Could you imagine if this generation doesn't teach the next to give? Do we assume they know? My little boy's on the front row today. He's looking forward to taking communion. And Landon is 11 years old. And he's been giving since he was saved, which was, I think, around 8 years old. He wants to give of what God has given him. But he didn't learn that in osmosis. Now, I'm not the hero of my own story here. What I'm saying is this. We as parents and grandparents need to pass that on to generationally. Uh, Generationally, that's what David, in part, was concerned about. It's not only a generational message. It's a visible message. Verse 2, David was able to testify Before the people, I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. Now, David was in charge of the king's treasury. So, David not only had personal wealth, which you'll come to in a minute, but he also had access and the stewardship of all of the national wealth of Israel. And what David says here is, as far as I was able, I engaged myself intentionally, visibly, testimonially, publicly, to be able to be involved in the work that God was doing among God's people at that time. And so it wasn't something that David hid. It wasn't something that David flaunted. But David was uh, almost in a a neutral position. You can see throughout the Bible record that the basic attitude towards giving is before God, it is honor and worship and release. It is trust and gratitude. It is praise and it is investment to, to get in on what the Lord is doing. But before me, you're neither to flaunt it, it absolutely loses its value if you're boastful or, or braggadocious about your giving. It's almost supposed to be incidental. We can give as according, if, if uh, human eyes are looking, you give with a shrug, you're like, well, of course I'm giving, I'm saved. Of course I'm giving, I'm part of this generation's advancement of the gospel. Well, of course I'm sacrificing because there's nothing else more important to me than the second coming of Jesus Christ, and I want to be a part of advancing the gospel until that happens. It it shouldn't surprise us when we run into people that are giving, and neither should we be boastful about it. It's just a visible message. Uh, Oftentimes we've thought, do we need to pass the plates on Sunday? Well, uh, I, I think sometimes some of us need to actually lay a check in there. We want to commemorate a moment when we give. There's nothing wrong with text giving and online giving, that's fine. But I, I get concerned at times that we're doing it just like we would pay Jackson EMC or AT&T or Verizon. It's just another bill. Friends, listen, this isn't a bill. God's not trying to make ends meet, Hallelujah. This is an absolute submission of our souls and an expression of our devotion and our gratitude. Lord, all things came from you. Everything I'm releasing to you belongs to you anyway. And it's just a great opportunity to humble ourselves, but it is to be visible. It's a practical message. Look down at verse number two. It'll be up on your screen. Um, And then I'm going to incorporate also verses four and five that emphasize the same point. When David was talking about what he had brought together, he talks about the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, iron for iron, wood for wood. And then he mentions great quantities of onyx and stones, antimony, uh, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. And then we have in verse 4 the 3,000 talents of gold and the gold of Ophir and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the house and for all the work uh, to be done by the craftsmen and gold and things of gold and silver. Now, why why do I bring all of that up? Because it really doesn't 
penetrate the heart so much until you recognize the people were giving not only in worship, but also they recognized practical things, practical needs had to be met. If, if we're going to build a temple, it's not built in the world of imaginary you know, worship. It, it needs to have doors, it needs to have pillars, it needs to have stones. And notice the extravagance that David provided for in the house of the Lord. Now, New Testament speaking, uh, who is the tabernacle of the Lord now? We are. We are the household of God. God lives within us. But that doesn't mean that there aren't practical needs within the kingdom. And so giving is not just simply, you know, between you and the Lord. It's also a sense of our community and our covenant with each other. Because every ministry that is growing, every ministry that is reaching people, every ministry that is looking to make an impact in their community and beyond, there are practical needs. There is the gold needed for the things of gold, the stone needed for the things of stone, the silver, the wood, and all of that. Now, what's amazing to me is the, um, I guess, the lavish nature that David put his heart into this. His giving, his heart said, my God is great. I, you know, I don't want to build a lean-to and say Yahweh resides there. I, I, I want to go, go big or go home. And by the way, if you go back in the previous chapter, David is outlining all of this in greater detail about what the, the temple was going to look like. But ultimately, it was ministry on a practical nature too. Let me give you just a, a thought here. I think they have a slide for this. It's just a simple statement. The outflow of ministry requires funding. From where does God design that that funding appear? You know, angels, I don't know, I'm, if they're doing this at your house, I'm going to come hang with you, but angels don't show up at my house with buckets of money. They just don't do it. I, I've never had an angelic delivery of a stack of Benjamins. It just doesn't work that way at the Lyle house. I'm open to it, Lord, if you want to do that, that would be great. That's not the way it works. And, and, and here at the church, I'm telling you, Gabriel and Michael don't take, you know, one side of a wheelbarrow and usher it into the parking lot and say, you don't need to take up an offering on Sunday. Now, I'm being a little silly, but you would think at times that maybe, maybe in some churches and some places, there are a lot of Christians that just think stuff magically appears. I'm going to tell you, I am eating today from a table that I didn't set. I'm reaping spiritually from a, a field that I didn't plant. My generation is, is, is intaking from what my parents' generation planted decades ago. And so we're all seated in a place that we actually may not have provided for. And so when I think of that, two things happen. One, gratitude to God. God, thank you that going before me, there were sacrificial, missional-minded Christians who paid the price, counted the cost, and gave lavishly at times and sacrificially and steadfastly at others. I want to give gratitude, but I'm also overwhelmed with a sense of responsibility. Okay, those are the ones that came before me that prepared for me. What's going to happen with the ones coming behind me? Who's going to prepare for them? And obviously it's me. It's you. So there was a practical element to the message uh, to David's giving, and there's a practical element from ours. God designs that the funding, and we'll keep it in the context here of a local assembly. Uh, the church down the road may be more wealthy than us, but their responsibility is down the road. Our responsibility is to take care of the family here, and that funding comes uh, for our benefit from one another as we give faithfully. Uh, look in verses 3 and then 5, and then we're going to move on to the second of the three points. It is an individual message, and this is huge. Verse 3, David's testifying, he says, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own. I have a treasure of my own, gold and silver. And because, watch, he's telling us his motive here. Because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 
And then in verse 5, he says to everybody that's around, he says, Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? And so ultimately, let me tell you what new, because we're in the Old Testament this morning, let me tell you what New Testament giving looks like. It is always motivated not by constraint, not by guilt, not by threat, and not solely by the practical need. Uh, listen, guilt is a terrible motivator. One of the reasons we probably don't have massive offerings here like we could, it says Dustin and I don't operate by guilt. We don't make you false promises that if you sow a seed into this ministry, then, you know, your skin's going to clear up or your hair's going to grow back. You know, we, we, we don't say that kind of stuff. We're not selling our sweaty prayer claws. We just, we don't believe in that kind of uh, handling of, of God's truth deceitfully. What we do is we tell you, hey, as a believer, as in a covenant member, a covenant family member of New Bridge Church, then you have covenanted together. You've committed to work with all others, giving what you can. And we, we just believe as Christians, we're going to live up to our word on that. But we are motivated, not simply by the need and not simply by being responsible, but we are motivated by the fact that we have received far more than we could ever give out. We're so blessed. When I was first saved, I was led to the Lord by my boss and my background was not anything I'm proud about, and so I had squandered years of money just in bars and things of that nature. And I got saved, and I, I was immediately delivered from uh, alcohol and the drugs and that whole lifestyle. I mean, it delivered in a day. And so now I had all this money. I was like, well, what, what in the world? I mean, I wasn't rolling or anything, but I had more money than I did before. And yet, after about a month and a half, I, I came to Scott and I said, man, I, I still don't have enough to make ends meet. And, and so we sat down, he said, tell me what you're giving. Now he was my boss, so he knew what I made. And at that time, I was just kind of given haphazardly. And what he recognized immediately, he said, Jeff, if you're going to experience the blessing of God on your finances, you need to give in proportion to what you've received. And I said, I can't ever give enough. And he said, that's right. And that set the tone for my beginning within two months, uh, set the tone for my giving, within two months of my salvation, God implanted that in me. Jeff, give in proportion to how you have received. My answer was, I could never give that much. And God said, that's right, so give as you can. And the joy was, is it became the primary focal part of my finances, my whole finances, what I commit to, where we go, what we plan, what we engage in, orbits around the issue of what can we give under the work of the Lord. Now friends, that is counterculture, but I'm going to tell you, my family's blessed. We're blessed. You can tell I have not missed any meals. You can tell. Hey, listen, we're blessed. The only times we've ever gone without is when one of two things have happened. When I've gotten out of God's will for a moment and bought something or purchased something on credit that I shouldn't have. And it took us years to get back from that. We went about three years really focusing, saying we're not going to live above our means anymore. And the only other time is if, if, if I've given sparingly, sometimes I've reaped sparingly. And so I can't give your testimony about giving. I have to weave my own in. But David made his contribution public. Now watch this. David made his contribution public, and he called on the people of God to make their commitment to give public. That's what he did in verse 5. He said, and he's the man, he's the king, he said, I want it to be willingly, but how many of you will consecrate yourself today to the Lord and give? He actually called for a commitment. Uh, I, I just want to say this before moving on. Um, I hope that you're a committed giver. 
I think as the people of God, the bulk of our giving ought to be done in the, in the home base. It ought to be done here. That if you'll begin to give 10% of your income to the general fund, and that is, uh, to me, uh, the basic foundational element of giving. The tithe preexisted the law. Jesus mentioned the tithe in his lifetime. And the tithe is not something mandated or constrained. I just see in the Scripture that it was always the foundational basis. And then we are to give joyfully. And there's so many different ways we can give here. And we have an open transparency here at Newbridge about our finances. Every single person that wants to vote votes at the beginning of the year. This is what we agree on as a church family for budget. And then we are held accountable to stay within that budget. And quite frankly, every year we underspend here. And so what we're doing is we're saying, we want you to become joyful givers, free givers. But at some point you have to begin releasing You have to engage and say, we are here to be a part of what God is doing. And I encourage you this, when you have covenanted with a local assembly, you are in essence saying, my job's not just to show up on Sundays, my job is to get involved. My job, my calling for the faith family that I'm uniting with is to serve. My, fa- my, my job is to get involved with activities, give my time, my energy, my abilities, and yes, also finances as God has prospered you. If that were to occur, I want to promise you something. We would do in triplicate what we're doing now if everybody just rose to the basic standard of tithing. It would probably be more than triplicate. We may quadruple what we've been able to do. If everybody would just rise to the standard of saying, God, I can trust you with helping me to live on 90% of what I have been living 100% on. What's amazing is there are so many people in the congregation today could stand up and testify what God began to do in their lives when they began to practice the basic element of tithing and then to build upon that with free will offerings to how God just seems to bring in more. You know, He actually said He'd do that. So when it comes to giving, it's really not an economic kind of issue as much as it is a faith issue. The issue is, do I believe what God says about salvation? Amen. What about heaven? Amen. What about marriage and child rearing? Amen. We believe the Word of God and the teachings of Jesus. What about money? Oh, me. (laughs) It's the same God. I mean, listen, if He's not trustworthy on money, don't trust Him with your soul. It's a character issue. Either he's true or he's not. And he says that, I mean, this is where the joy starts coming in. Because God actually says, he, he told the prophet, he said, why don't you just test me? Why don't you just test me in your giving and just watch me, I mean, in, in the illustration, open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so intense upon you that you won't know what to do with it. That's God doing that. And yet sometimes, friends, we, we, we say amen to all of the spiritual stuff. But when it comes to, you know, giving, we hold back. Something to think about nonetheless. So we're called to release. Let's look in verses 6 through 9. The release of our giving. Now watch the people respond, and this is beautiful. Notice first, it flowed forward from each home, verse 6. Then the leaders of the fathers' houses made their free will offerings. And by the way, this was done in public, otherwise it couldn't be chronicled here. The leaders of the fathers' houses made their free will offerings. Also did the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands, hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. And so what you've got is you've got the leader of the families and then into larger groups of tribes and even into components of, uh, of, of, of different aspects of uh, Israel's, um, the way they're put together, their, their polity, their government. And what, what happened is the leaders stepped up first. And so you've got dads stepping up and you've got husbands stepping up. 
And, you know, they're saying, we're going to do this. We see that our king is doing it. We see that the glory of God is going to be unleashed in Israel like we've never seen it before at the completion of the temple. We see it's a generational message and, and our king has set the example and we're going to do this. And so it flowed forth from each home. Um, believe me, I, I cannot, I, I just, I'm going to have to trust you know my heart. I'm, I'm not trying to motivate by guilt, but I, I just want to ask the question because you may not be asking it yourself, what's coming out of your home into the financing of the kingdom? Is it talked about? Is it prayed about? Is it committed to? Is it released? Is it squeezed in in between some of the luxuries we, we often as Americans feel entitled to? Um, I, I encourage you, take the last 12 months and, and look at your giving. And, and, and just ask yourself, is this really representative of, of my faith in God, of my gratitude? Is, is, is this really an adequate expression of, of, of the joy I feel to the Lord when I consider who He is and what He's done for me? And I hope the answer is yes, but if it isn't, the, the goal is not to make you feel guilty about it. It's to facilitate a moment where you say, I need to change. We live in the most materialistic society probably anywhere on earth at this time. And for the last couple of hundred years, no doubt about it, I mean, listen, we are a blessed nation. If you don't believe that, get on a plane and go to a third world country and hunker down for a little bit. Every time I travel to an impoverished part of the world, I come back, man, and I, I'm like, I don't need the Lord to spank me. I'm going to spank myself. I am at times a typical spoiled American, but I don't realize that until I extract myself from the American culture and I go to, to Kenya or I go to Tanzania or I go to impoverished Mexico or I go to the Caribbean and I'm watching how my brothers and sisters live over there and they have not even close to the amount of money I have and I find in moments I don't close, have close to the amount of joy they have. And so many, many years ago, as God was dealing with me on this issue, I, I just became convinced of some things that drive people crazy who try to help me with financial planning. You know what my financial planning is? I'm going to help you out here. I said, Jeff, come on, man. Get, disclose your secrets. I give away as much of it as I can. I, I want to make sure my family is fed and provided for. I want to make sure that if the bottom drops out, you know, we're not going to be destitute. But I try to give away. I do give away as much of it as I can. Now, that does not make me the pinnacle of giving. I promise you, I could give more. What it does say is this. Most of the advisement that we get in America about what to do with our finances is completely antithetical to the Word of God. Completely. And most of our brothers and sisters in the rest of the world would scratch their heads and saying, I love you, sister, but you're sitting on all of that when so much work remains to be done in the kingdom. And listen, the one thing about going to other parts of the world, uh, they'll shoot straight with you. Uh, they don't play American politeness. Well, that's an awkward subject. We don't need to talk about that. My finances are a private manner. Uh, man, you, you let one of those Nigerian prophets find out that you're sitting on $40,000 in the blank. Bless you, brother! You need to give! You know, they come at you in ten, uh, <laughs> You're writing checks before you're out of the village, you know. <laughs> Listen, I'm just telling you, man, that people in the other parts of the world, they get this. Some of the most generous people I've seen are children in other parts of the world who literally have nothing, sometimes not even underwear, some, some nothing to wear. And somebody will come through and a missionary will come through with a treat, a piece of candy, or somehow they'll get ice cream into the village. 
And a child will get something he's never going to get again, but they'll get in that moment, and the first thing you'll see them do is find a friend that has nothing and break it in half and give it to them. It's not an issue of how much we have. It's an issue of what's going on in here. So friends, when I look at the teachings of Jesus, Jesus said you've got to become like a child to enter into the kingdom. I believe we have to at times be like children in order to um, you know, generate glory for God in the kingdom. And so, uh, listen, don't be uncomfortable. I sense it in the room, but I'm, I'm just asking you to consider you. It's got to flow from each home. I just want, I want husbands and wives and, and, and heads of household to, to, to talk. Talk to the Lord. Talk to each other. What can we do? What do we need to do? What can we cut back on? What do we need to move forward in? It's also pointed upward to higher priorities. Verse number seven, they gave for the service of the house of God. It's very simple. Listen, they were all giving money they could have spent elsewhere on their own selves. The book of Malachi and Haggai addressed that issue. They gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I'm a dollar guy. I'm an American. So I just did what any educated preacher will do. I Googled how much money this is. <laughs> what in the world is this? Now, listen, when I put these amounts and I did, it took 20 seconds. This is what I am told that the amount that was consecrated unto this project would be in today's numbers, in American dollars, around $875 million. $875 million. But watch this. Most of it, some of it was garnered out of the treasury in Israel over which David had, had uh, stewardship. But the Bible didn't say, well, just let the guys that are running the, the finances handle it. God called each person to participate, and most of those people would have been, at least by our standards, dirt poor. So what did they do? Well, the Bible says they went in and they found precious stones that would have belonged to their family. They, they found gold. They found silver. And they released it. They released it. Why? Because there was need in the building of the house of God. The project was bigger than the price. And if we don't recognize that the project that God is doing, to call the advancement and the ushering in of the kingdom a project is a huge understatement. But I want to tell you, if we can look at it in these terms, the project of what Jesus is doing in our generation is greater than the price, meaning it's more important than what it costs. And yet he doesn't give that to a select few, but Jesus has entrusted it to all of us. And so our release and our giving points to the reality that we have higher priorities than what's going on on earth. We have higher priorities than the next best, newest, improved, shiniest thing. You know, the iPhone 7 came out last week, and I'm a little bit of a techie. And uh, I have an iPhone 6. You say, well, Jeff, you just undermined your whole message. Well, quit judging me, amen? <laughs> I done told you I give away as much as I can. And listen, by the way, <laughs> the Bible does say God gives us all things richly to enjoy. That doesn't mean he wants you to take a vow of poverty and never smile. And you can't even afford toothpaste. Amen. That's not what we're talking about. But the point being is this, when the iPhone 7 came out, I'm going to tell you, there are some, and here's the joke about the iPhone 7. There's really nothing new except it's called a 7. There's a couple of improvements, but Apple knows they've got people jonesing in the alley saying, what's that new iPhone coming out, man? I, I need an upgrade, man. I need to have that. We got some earbuds. You know? and, and that's the way they live. And so iPhone just says, hey, y'all want to make some money? Let's put out a new model. Watch these jokers buy it. Did, did any of you get one? Some of y'all have pre-ordered. You're, you're like this. 
The point being is this, there's always something new and shiny and cool and neat, and there's always the call on you to give yourself to that. And listen, we're not talking about walking on water, we're talking about just showing a little spiritual restraint and just saying, well, I can either, you know, drop a $800 on a new phone, or I can help Victoria Mason go, and, and you're going you're gonna to hear more about Victoria, she's part of our family here, our faith family, and, and go to uh, Uganda and work with some of those children that Jeff was saying, break their candy and give it to, see what I'm saying? It's just a matter of in the moment prioritizing and thinking. So going down into verse 8, the release of our giving is this, it arrives ahead of time. Always anticipating the later need. Verse 8, whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury, don't miss that, to the treasury of the house of the Lord and the care of Jehiel, however you say it, the Gershonite. And so there was a treasurer, and not everything that was coming in had an immediate, instant way to be used. And so the people didn't hold back. The people said, let's give it now because we anticipate the need's going to come later. That's a huge part of our giving. One of the things about Newbridge, um, it, it just blows me away. It's, man, you, you put something out there to rally around, some, some need, some funding, some opportunity to, in the kingdom, you put it out there and there's a swarm on it, man. Let's get this done. Let's sacrifice. Let's do this. Let's make it happen. And we celebrate and we see the, the value and the immediate reward. And, and it's easy to raise money for special projects. But listen, there's not always a special project, but there always is a call for insight that there will be a special need coming. And so what do we do? The, the, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, would write later on, he would say, do not with, withhold good from those unto whom it is due when it's in the power of your hand to give it. And it means when you can give, you do give. Listen, it doesn't have to be some neon cool, you know, elders sit in a room, how can we just get more money out of people? Let's come up with a project. We just don't do that around here. We say, we want to appeal to you, the, the child of God, who's been blessed and equipped and empowered, and you have resources to anticipate that there will come a need, so you give regularly, and you give faithfully, and you give as generously as you can, and it sits in the treasury until that need comes. I promise you this, because I, I know the, the answers devil, the devil's handed people over the years. Um, you know, well, as if the leaders are going to get something out of it. We are really, really, really good stewards here of everything you give. Most of our staff, um, especially those that came from, from the Meadow side of the merger, uh, haven't had raises in years and years. It's not because, you know, well, it's, it's simply because we recognize there's greater kingdom needs and we trust God to take care of ourselves. Lord, take care of us as we say no another year to this. Now, some of you are having to do that by constraint where you work, and so you know what I'm talking about. The idea is this. We know that needs are going to grow. All hell is going to come against the church in the United States of America if Jesus Christ does not come back in the next 10 years. Mark my words, that is not a stretch to say that. Literally, all of hell. They will come against the church and take away your tax benefits for your donations. That is going to happen. So if you're not prepared now as a consecrated giver, you certainly won't be then. 
So what we've got to do is we've got to make up our mind, where is our primary citizenship? Our citizenship is in heaven. You know, I was born in Miami, Florida, June 16th, 1970, in Homestead Air Force Base. I got a birth certificate. I'm a citizen of the U.S., natural-born citizen, but that is a secondary citizenship because that one's going to terminate. The one that I am an actual everlasting citizen of is the kingdom of heaven. And that is where my utmost loyalty must be, and yours also. And so we get down into verse number 9. I'm almost done. All the folks are getting ready to come in. I I need to wrap up on time. Um, Watch what happens when they gave. The release of their giving, verse 9, flourished inwardly in kingdom joy. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And then the the footnote is David the king also rejoiced greatly. That makes no human sense. I just gave away a bunch of valuable stuff. And nobody gave me anything back immediately. And yet I don't know why. I can't help it. I feel awesome about it. This is killer. This is what, this is joy. I am not going to be able to contain it. I'm going to do a little holy dance. I'm going to, I'm just, and, and all of a sudden the giving. But listen, that's not human. That's not human. What is that? That's spiritual. That there is something that happens inside of us when we topple the God of this world, and in this country the God of this world is represented by money, and when we topple that over like Dagon in the Philistine temple, knocking it over on its face, and we say, I don't serve that God anymore, I just proved it, I gave it away. And there is, so, there is a release that begins to happen in you, because otherwise it's like a clogged pipe. You know, a clogged pipe doesn't allow anything to flow through, or at best it just kind of seeps around. And, and when you take out the clog of trusting in your finances for your sole means of well-being, when you begin to release that in faith, release that despite the difficulty. There's three reasons why people don't give. Watch this. Three reasons, three primary reasons why Christians do not give. One, they don't know to give. Nobody told them to. Nobody explained it. They didn't hear this sermon. Nobody, they don't know to give. The second is they're afraid to give, and I think that's most Christians. Most Christians who don't give, it's not because they're rebels, they're just afraid. How am I going to make it? I can't take that. It's like taking a 10% pay cut, and they're thinking numerically and economically instead of biblically and spiritually and relationally with the Lord. So you've got some that don't know to give, some that are afraid to give, and you've got some that just don't want to give. So I don't know if you're not giving if you fall into one of those three categories, but what I'm saying is this, if you will step out on faith and make a covenant between you and the Lord that He has already said He's going to bless, it's an issue of trust. He already said, I'll bless you. Yeah, I don't know, Lord. No, I know. I'll bless you. Well, you you don't understand my finances. I'm omniscient. I know exactly what your finances are. You can't afford not to give. And and so the, the ultimate issue is, do we trust Him? I think as Christians, we all need to grow in that area. And so when they released it, man, the Bible, the infallible Word of God, the inspired Word of God, Holy Spirit tells the Chronicle, probably Ezra writing this, on that day when they give, they lost it. It was a rejoicing festival. And I love the little footnote because I just kind of lay this over almost as a an allegory. It says, David the king also rejoiced. So when the king watched his people give, it brought him joy. And so I'm going to make it about the greater king for a moment. Jesus Christ, our king, takes great joy when 
He knows everything about what's going on with us. He knows our struggles. He may know our lack. He may know our ignorance on this issue. But when we say, I'm going to become a giver, I'm going to tell you something. It brings pleasure to the heart of the king. And I don't know that there could be anything better said about one of our lives than our lives brought pleasure to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the last point, and I'll run through these very quickly because it just amplifies everything else I've said. Here's the theology behind our giving, okay? It's not all practical. There's got to be some theology behind it. There's got to be some truth behind it. Verse number 10 and 11. It's a theology that honors God. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. And watch this. Here's the theology. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Here's the theology here. The theology behind giving is that this, it honors the Lord. It recognizes, Lord, you're actually the source of everything I have. Anything else I look to is just a resource. You're the source. And so, Lord, since it all belongs to you, I want to acknowledge your headship. That's what David says there. He talks about the Lord being the head and that the whole kingdom is yours, Lord. So it's not up there like God is, you know, counting coins or anything because he's afraid if these people don't just release it, I'm going to run out. It's all his anyway. And so we know that giving is not based on God needing something. Who is in need? We have the need to give. God looks at it and says, they need to know the joy of giving. Why is that? Because if we're ever going to be like Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was primarily above all things a giver. He gave and gave and gave to the very point of giving his own life in agony. And so if we're going to enter into a deeper intimacy with the Lord, we have to become givers of what we can give. None of us will ever pay back. That's not what we're talking about. It is a, it's an auto-response of the soul to the generosity of God that says, the one who, who saved me, the one who lives in me, the one to whom I yield is a giver, so I will give too. It's a theology that honors him. The headship of Christ over our lives cannot be said to be a reality until we become generous. Generous with our time, generous with our abilities, and today we're talking about being generous with our money. It's also, verse 12, a theology which expresses our dependence. I love this. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Let's just remember that. Come on. Every day we can wake up and get up and go somewhere and earn something if we'll slow down enough. I know it's not the ideal situation where you might be working, but you have an income and you have a body that allows you to go there. That all came from God. God blessed you with the opportunity to generate finances, whether through investments, whether through 40, 60 hours a week, whether through a part-time job, whether through mowing lawns during the summer. God gave you all of that. And so David humbles himself and just expresses dependence. And he says, Lord, all of this comes from you. It's, it's you. I don't know if you've thought about your job that way, your income that way, your investments that way. But let's don't just say it. 
or amen the preacher when he's making you listen to it. Let's express gratitude in reciprocation. That means let's say I'm a pipe, not a bowl. A bowl receives and holds. A pipe's open-ended on either side. It funnels in one side and goes somewhere else out the other. That's what our finances are to be like. And so it's a finally, and that's a real finally, not a preacher's finally. I'm out of verses. A theology which results in humility and gratitude. Look at verse 13. And now we thank you. God, we thank you. And we praise your glorious name. Who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer thus willingly? And then he says it again, all things come from you and of your own have we given you. As David winds this down, his, his heartbeat is this, God, I am overwhelmed at who you are and I am so grateful. Gratitude is the cure for a multitude of ills. Amen. Gratitude and generosity will wipe out a lot of the bitterness and the bile out of our souls. The gospel is the syringe that injects the medicine of, of, of grace, and from that grace we become healthy, and we start to say, I cannot believe that he loved me. I cannot believe that he pursued me. I cannot believe that he chose me. I cannot believe that he forgave me. I cannot believe that he keeps me. I cannot believe that he provides for me. I can't believe that he continually loves me when I know such unlovable parts of myself. I can't believe that you're you and you love me. And it is from that posture of gratitude that you're able to say, so what, what's the big deal that I sacrifice into the kingdom? Because it's his. These are the elements that need to motivate us when it comes to the remainder of our days. Don't look backwards, look forward. From this day forward, this is not about guilt about last year or the last decade or the last 20 years. This is about who I am now, who you are now, and what will we do with all that God has entrusted to us.